Welcome to this week's episode of the Big Book Living Alive podcast, a weekly podcast showcasing the 1993 Big Book Seminar presented by Joe and Charlie in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. I am your host, Brad S., and I am an alcoholic. Elements that affect the body, from the measles to lower back pain to plantar fasciitis, can affect the body for small, medium, long terms but usually are something that are external to the body that caused them. Our disease of alcoholism is an internal issue. It's a matter that we do not process alcohol in the same way as others do. We are unable to appropriately take one drink and process it and the body not crave more and more and more. Let's hear how Joe and Charlie talk about the disease of the body in this week's episode. We're going to show you just a little piece of information. And let us be the first to say this is not AA information. AA will not get involved in any controversy regarding why we're allergic. AA just says we're allergic, period. But today there's been information that's come out through the medical profession that has really proven the doctor's opinion. And in this chart that Joe's going to look at up here on the board, you're going to see in the center line those people who can drink safely, the social temperate moderate drinkers. Whenever they take a drink of alcohol and put it in the system, same thing begins to happen that happens when you put anything in the system. The mind and body will recognize it. The body will begin to produce enzymes. The enzymes will attack that alcohol just like it would a piece of beefsteak and begin to break it down into items and qualities that the body can use itself. In the first stage, it is broken down to a material called acetaldehyde. Then after a while, diacetic acid. Then after a while, acetone. And in the final stage, it becomes a simple carbohydrate made up of water, sugar, and carbon dioxide. The water will dis be dissipated through the urinary intestinal tract. The sugar is energy, calories. The body will burn it and store the excess as fat. The carbon dioxide will be dissipated through the lungs. In the normal, social, temperate, moderate drinker, the average rate of metabolism is approximately one ounce per hour. I know that varies with different people, but it's approximately an ounce per hour. Now, if they don't drink more than an ounce per hour, they can't get drunk because their body will burn it up and get rid of it at that rate. Very seldom do you see one of those people drink more than an ounce per hour. If they go to drinking it very fast, remember, they get a slightly tipsy, out-of-control feeling. And I say, ooh, I feel this. I don't want any more of that. And if you force it on them, you better stand back because after about the third or fourth drink, they're going to puke all over you as sure as anything. Normal reaction. Now, the one on the left, the one who does not drink safely, the one who is at disease with alcohol, and that's all the word disease means, something that separates you from the normal. The alcoholic takes a drink, puts it in the system, same thing happens. Mind and body recognizes it, enzymes attack it, break it down to acetaldehyde, then to diacetic acid, then to acetone. But it seems as though in the body of the alcoholic, the enzymes necessary to break it from acetone to the simple carbohydrate 
are not there in the same qualities and or quantities as they are in the body of the non-alcoholic. Therefore, it remains in the body of the alcoholic for a longer period of time as acetone. The medical profession has proven today that acetone ingested into the human system that remains there for an appreciable period of time will produce an actual physical craving for more of the same. And that physical craving then demands a second drink. Now just think. You take one drink, put it in the system. The physical craving is brought about by the acetone. The acetone produces the craving that requires a second drink, so you take a second drink. Now you got most of the acetone from the first, now you put in the acetone from the second, the acetone level goes up. The craving becomes harder, and that requires a third drink. Now you got most of the first, nearly all the second, now you put in that from the third, the acetone level goes up, the craving becomes harder. At midnight, we're laying out in the parking lot. They run over us and broken our leg. And they run up to us and say, can we help you? And we say, my God, yes, give me another drink. <laughs> we are craving it harder after 20 drinks at midnight than we were after three drinks at 6 o'clock in the evening. We never get enough. I drank for 26 years. I never got all the alcohol I wanted. My God, I got more than I needed a thousand times, but I never got more than I wanted. That crazy, There's no end to that. Now, maybe we could learn to live with that if it never got any worse. But we know not only do we have an illness, we have a progressive illness that always gets worse. Probably due to two reasons. Today, they have proven that alcohol ingested into the human system over an appreciable period of time produces actual damage to the body. It begins to destroy human tissue. And it seems as though the first organs of the body that this stuff begins to destroy in most cases happen to be the liver and the pancreas. For today they know that the two organs of the body that produce the enzymes necessary to metabolize alcohol are the liver and the pancreas. And as we begin to destroy those two organs, the enzyme production becomes less and less. The craving becomes harder and harder. The drinking becomes worse and worse over a period of time. We also know as we get older, the body begins to shut down on the production of everything. God, I wish that were not true, but it is. Believe me, <laughs> it is. If I would take a drink today, after 20-some-odd years of sobriety, I wouldn't start where I left off then. I would start in an entirely different place. My body's ability to metabolize alcoholism, alcohol today is less than it was then because of the aging factor. The drinking would be immediately harder, the resultant trouble immediately harder, and everything worse than it was before. How do I know that? Why, hell, I run a survey in AA. And every time I see one of us go out and get drunk after a period of sobriety, first thing I say, is it any better? Always, my God, it's ten times worse than it was before. So not only do we have a physical illness, we've got a progressive illness due first to damage to the body itself, second due to the aging factor. This today has been proven. We've looked at study after study after study after study after study, and they all say the same thing. They might use different words, but they all point to the same thing. We are physically allergic to alcohol, 
we'll never be able to safely drink it again. Now today, when a newcomer comes in and I say, you're allergic to alcohol and you'll never be able to drink it again, I say, let me sit down and let me explain to you why. And when I can explain to him why, and he can see why he can't drink safely any longer, then almost immediately he begins to look for a way to stay sober. You see, up until I knew this information, I kept trying to find ways to drink. I kept trying to find something I could drink without getting drunk, a place to drink, a group to drink with. And when I saw this information for the first time, I realized, hey, I'll never be able to safely drink again. Now, the human mind is a funny thing. When you close one door, it'll open another one. Immediately when I saw I could no longer safely drink because of the allergy, then I opened the door and I began to look for a way to stay sober. And that's the key in AA. This information is great information. Every alcoholic ought to know this. That explains to us why we can't drink. But that's not our problem. Our real problem is we can't stay sober. You know, my allergy can't hurt me if I don't take a drink. There's no way that phenomenon of craving can develop if I don't take a drink. I have a friend who's allergic to, of all things, fish. And every time he eats fish, his throat swells up and he almost chokes to death. Now, the fact that he's allergic to fish is beside the point, because if he didn't eat fish, that wouldn't happen to him. But he got something wrong in his head when it comes to fish. Because every once in a while, his head tells him it's okay to eat fish. And he'll eat the fish, and then the allergy takes over, and then he goes back to the hospital. I bet it nearly always starts like this. Well, I haven't had any fish in 90 days. Surely I could have one piece. There's probably those black bass I've been eating. If I'd eaten nothing but rock cod, it'd be okay. Or it might even say it's them damn people I've been eating fish with if I just... <laughs> now, left on my own resources, my mind is the same way when it comes to alcohol. Left on my own resources, my mind tells me after a while that it's okay to drink. And then I drink. Now, my book's going to tell me that the fact that I'm physically allergic to alcohol is extremely important, but my real problem centers in my mind rather than my body. Let's look for just a few minutes. Dr. Silkworth understood us quite well because now he describes the mental side of our illness back on Roman numeral 26. The doctor said if we have an allergy to alcohol, it's never been by any treatment which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. That's all there is. If that's the only problem that we have is drinking, he suggests that we don't drink. But that's just part of the problem. The most, the most dangerous part of the illness is when I'm not drinking. You know why? Because I'm thinking about drinking, you see. And on Roman numeral page uh, 26, the bottom of the page, we're going to talk about the obsession of the mind now. And we're leaving the body now. We're going to the mind. Going to the mind. Said men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Many alcoholics are highly offended when you say that. They say, no, that's not the reason I drink. They say the reason I drink is because I love the taste of alcohol. I wouldn't argue with them whether they do or not. I love the taste of cold beer. I always have, all my life, as far back as I can remember. I also love the taste of cold mountain spring water. I never did sit down and drink a case of cold mountain spring water. <laughs> Alcohol does something for me that cold mountain spring water doesn't do for me. I love what it does for me. As a kid growing up, I was on the outside of the crowd looking in. Always wanted to be a part of, knew I could not be. 
knew that whatever I said, whatever I did would be wrong. People would laugh. I would be embarrassed. You ladies just literally, I was tongue-tied around you. You just scared me to death. And one night somebody gave me a drink of whiskey. And God Almighty, that great, exciting, in-control feeling came over me. And all those fears disappeared. And I was allowed to function as a normal teenager and allowed to ask a girl to dance with me, allowed to take her home from the dance, allowed to get in the back seat of a 36 Chevrolet and do something I'd been wanting to do for a long, long time. I loved what alcohol did for me. Now, if it made me slightly tipsy, out of control, and nauseous, I wouldn't love that. But it doesn't make me that way. It gives me that exciting in control feeling and allows me to function the way I always wanted to but never could before. See, there are many, many effects. The one Charlie just described is the one I became obsessed with. It changed the way that I thought and the way that I felt. Alcohol always did that for me and I became obsessed with that idea. And every time I found a little problem of some sort and came up and I could take a drink and it would change the, the way that I thought and the way that I felt and I drink it for those effects in the beginning. Later on in my drinking, because of the trouble I got into, I began to drink to relieve some of the feelings I had because of the trouble I'd gotten into. So that was another effect. And in the end, the very end of my drinking, I drank for the thickest effect of all, and that's total oblivion. I just wanted out of it. There's only one thing wrong with oblivion, is you wake up. And you got to start drinking again looking for oblivion, and I did that over and over and over again. It says, the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the truth from the false. I didn't know the truth from the false in the, in the end. I just didn't know. So to them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one, and my alcoholic life became normal to me. Every place I went, drinking was involved. Everybody I ran around with, drinking was involved. They either drink the way I drink or I didn't run around with them. I can remember one morning my, my wife's an alcoholic and she's been sober for 17 years now. And way back then I said, we woke up one Sunday morning and I said, had a moment of clarity. And I said, Phyllis, you know, people don't drink, the, most people don't drink the way we do. And you know what she said to me? To me? She said, bullshit. I don't talk that way. That's what she said. <clears throat> she said, everybody drinks the way we do. See, I, we, didn't, we didn't know the truth and the false. And to us, our alcoholic life had become normal because everybody we knew in every place we went, drinking was involved, and it had become normal to us, and we didn't know the truth and the false. And this is what we are when we're not drinking. And this is during those enforced periods of sobriety when we used to throw a little sober period We'd run around sober, and this is how we used to feel sober. So they are restless, irritable, and discontented. Let's add a few more words to that. We're filled with shame, fear, guilt, and remorse over what we did on the last drunk and the one before and the one before. And even though we're sober, we don't feel good. And we want to feel better. Unless they can again experience the sense and ease of comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. The mind begins to remember that great feeling we get from the first couple of drinks. Drinks which they see others taking with impunity. Other people are taking a couple of drinks. Why can't we? Seemingly without any problem. <clears throat> and after they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do. After we have fallen into the trap, thinking that one or two drinks is going to be okay, we take a couple of drinks, then... 
And then the phenomenal craving develops, and we pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. Now, this is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope for his recovery. Remember the doctor said, if we have a physical allergy to alcohol, we suggest that you don't drink. The most dangerous part of the illness is when I'm not drinking because I'm thinking. And I need a complete psychic change, a complete change of attitude while being sober. Otherwise, I'm going to drink again. And said so this is repeated over and over and over. And unless I can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope for my recovery. The rest of this book and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is designed to bring about this entire psychic change when I'm not drinking so that I won't have to drink again. I had the pleasure of being a guest on a podcast this last week. I'll have more details in the next couple of weeks as that uh, as becomes available and comes online. But the great thing that was discussed during that whole hour, other than lots of good sobriety and the big book and the steps, was I brought up the fact that at one point, Charlie had started using the dictionary to look things up. And we had a discussion about the word disease. And she actually reached over, picked up the dictionary, the Webster's Dictionary, and looked up disease and agreed that that is an effect of the body. We learned this week the key to our program from the side of our body, from the physical portion of this program. We are an abstinence-only program. The only way this works, the only way to prevent the triggering of the disease of the body is to not drink. Not drink on occasion, not drink here and there, not drink and have other um, drugs or mind-altering substances, and I'm going to put a star here, an asterisk, I don't make judgment regarding medications used to help control various parts of withdrawal. I am not a doctor. I don't give medical advice. I know that total abstinence for myself was the only way to stop the disease of the body, and that made the cravings of the mind subside over time. And that's how the physical part of this program worked for me. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. If you'd like just the raw Joe and Charlie portion of the podcast, that is available on our Patreon site. The link to that is available on our website or in the pinned comment. Until next week. This is the Big Book Living Alive, Joe and Charlie Podcast.